Please rise for the reading of God's word. Acts 1, 6 through 8. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. This is God's word. It's a privilege and a pleasure to be with you. I want you to know I have a lot of ties to the Boston area that go all the way back to when I was in undergraduate school and graduate school there for six years altogether. In fact, the final two years, I actually attended the Park Street Church. And that was the time when uh, Dr. Harold Ockengay was finishing up his legendary leadership of that church. And I understand the Park Street Church is the church that helped plant Westgate. So I feel like I've got a close tie to your church. What I want to talk to you about today is missions, but in a little different sense than a lot of times we think of when we think of the word missions. Acts 1.8 tells us, when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, you will receive power to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, all Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. That was Jesus speaking, his final words to his disciples. And when we think of that verse, we normally gravitate to the end of the verse that says the uttermost parts of the earth. And I understand you do quite well at missions around the world. But I also understand that you're now trying to do more and more to help all of you to become witnesses in your Jerusalem, which is the title of what I'm sharing with you today. How to be a witness in your Jerusalem. Now, if you go to the Living and Telling training next weekend, you'll get a lot more on that subject. So what I want to focus on in our time together is give you some illustrations from my own personal experience in how this works. And, uh, and one of the reasons I'm not going to give a biblical expository kind of message is because you already know what you need to know. People are lost without Jesus Christ. Uh, the, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23. Uh, the wages of sin is death. Ah, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord, Romans 6.23. And finally, and while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us, Romans 5.8. So I, I assume you know that. And the problem for most Christians is that they don't witness to people that are around them. For whatever all the reasons are, a lot of times they don't. And I'm assuming that might apply to some of you where you struggle with that. I understand, as you'll see here in a few minutes. And so what I'd like to share with you is how you can come to believe that God will use you in marvelous ways to share Jesus Christ with the people in your world. And by that, I mean the Boston area or maybe friends you have in other places and to see how it is that you can connect with people powerfully by sharing how needs that they have can be met, really only met, 
by God. So let me lead off with my story, my testimony, if you will. I grew up in a church not unlike, I suppose, the Westgate Church. Uh, I, it, was, it was good, solid, uh, shared Christ accurately. And when I was eight years old, I went forward and asked Christ into my life. I stayed involved with the church in various ways, even with youth groups and things like that. And so I would say I was active, but it didn't really touch my life in the way in which I would have kind of hoped that it would have in retrospect. So when I went away to college, I decided that my happiness in life would come as a result of my own effort, and it would not be the gift of God. Dad drove me out from Rockford, Illinois, where I grew up, to Boston. And we had a great time together. Never forget the trip. We went to some of the great restaurants in Boston while we were there. We toured the MIT campus. And then on Sunday afternoon, there we were in what was then called the Great Court of MIT. And Dad chose that moment to say goodbye. It was kind of dramatic. He spun around suddenly and he reached out his hand and he said, Well, son, I've got to be going now. Good luck. <laughs> and then he turned and he walked to his car on Memorial Drive and headed back home. You know, if I were Jewish, that would be sort of a bar mitzvah, I think. But you know, as Dad was walking away, I began thinking about a subject that I then thought about a lot more in the days and weeks to come. And that is, you know, I'm going to be satisfied. I'm going to lead a life of significance. I'm going to experience peace and joy by accomplishing objectives. And then I set out to accomplish certain objectives. One of them was to get good grades. No small deal at MIT. A second one was to be involved in sports at MIT, particularly in the basketball area. I played basketball in high school. Third area was to be involved in leadership opportunities, which I had a chance to do in high school. And the fourth was to uh, have a few dates before I graduated. Well, I did very well on that objective. Actually, I did pretty well on all of the objectives. I did play on the MIT basketball team. But you know what I discovered? It did not bring ultimate satisfaction. It just didn't. And where I came to focus was in a uh, ceremony at the end of my senior year. I was getting an award that day called the Carl Taylor Compton Prize, and it was given to several graduating seniors who have done some kind of service to the MIT community. My mom had flown out, and we were in the same great court I mentioned earlier. My name was called. I started walking up the cement steps in front of the columns there in the dome of MIT. And it was almost as if those cement steps had turned to wood because I heard a distinct echo saying, so what? Big deal. So what? And I thought, good grief. If even in the moment of success, it's no big deal, it's going to be a long life. Well, I went back to my hometown, Rockford, wondering what is the secret then to satisfaction, joy, peace, significance. And I was dating a young woman named Kathy. Now, I'm married to Judy, so you know the end of the story with Kathy, okay? But that summer, in order to be with Kathy on Tuesday nights, I had to go to this religious meeting. And uh, I remember kind of thinking through the, uh, uh, the options here, attending or not, religious meeting, Ugh, Kathy, woo, 
Well, the woo went out and I attended. And I got so much more than I bargained for. I actually saw the joy of Jesus Christ flowing from the faces of the people in that group. Such that a few weeks later from my first exposure to the group, I found myself sitting up in bed and saying to God, that's what I want. The kind of relationship that those people have through Jesus Christ, that's what I want. Well, I didn't float off the bed, but my life began to change. And I could tell you a lot of illustrations, but I will just give you one. My first six weeks in graduate school occurred that fall, and it was by case study method. I've never been a part of that before. And then they scheduled the first exam. Finally, you know, I wanted some feedback on how I was doing. Well, the first exam was on quantitative decision-making. Now, uh, maybe some of you would say, oh man, that'd be terrible. No, for me, that was great. I was an engineer as an undergraduate, so this is, this is to my advantage. So I went cruising into the exam, confident that I would do well. Took my very first case study exam and came out of that exam confident that I had not done well. You ever had that experience coming out of something? Well, I dragged back to my room and I sat down and I was miserable. But then I remembered a verse in the Bible that said, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. And my mind just focused on that word peace. And I said, God, I'm not asking for any favors on the exam. I'm just asking for peace. You know what? God answered both prayers. You say, what are you talking about? What was prayer one? No favors on the exam. He did not give me any favors on the exam. But then in a matter of moments, my heart was flooded with peace. Now, why do I tell you that illustration? Because you see, we have needs in our life. Some of those needs we sort of as human beings can meet. But the bigger needs, the more fundamental needs, in fact, ultimately all needs, can only be met by God. And I learned that lesson. And you say, okay, okay, but that was kind of a once-in-a-lifetime experience, wasn't it? The whole thing you've shared, this gal you were dating, and, and then your first test in graduate school. How does that apply to me and sharing my faith? Good question. Let me show you an example. I was flying from Ontario, California to Chicago O'Hare Field, and I was talking to the woman sitting across the aisle from me. Dangerous to do that, you know, with those carts coming up and down. But her, I found out her name was Joanne, and we got to talking a little, and I said, Joanne, when we land at O'Hare, are you connecting to another flight and going elsewhere? And she said, no, no, actually, I'm on the ground, and I'm going to my hometown. I said, really? What's your hometown? She said, Rockford, Illinois. I said, you've got to be kidding me. That's my hometown. Oh, my. The next 10 minutes or, or so, we became old friends. And uh, she went to a different high school, but we did have some friends in common. And, and we were just talking about different things. And I'd actually been in her dad's furniture store. Can you imagine? Well, after a while, she shared about how she'd just gotten a divorce. And I didn't say anything at the time, but I must confess, I knew then how I was going to be able to transition into the gospel. So when there was a lull in the conversation, I, uh, I asked her, Joanne, I'm, I've never gone through a divorce. That must have been very painful. 
Now, at this moment, she's going to show me whether she's vulnerable to talk. And she said, yes, yes, Steve, it really was. And I said, well, I found something that has made a dramatic difference in my life in the area of giving me peace and satisfaction in life. Would you be interested in hearing my story? She said, oh, yeah, I really would. And so I told her, in essence, what I just shared with you, my testimony, how God gave me peace in spite of my best efforts to do it another way. And at the end of my sharing my testimony with her, I said, Joanne, have you ever had an experience with God like the one I just described? And she said, uh, no, no, I never have. I didn't know I could have that kind of experience with God. I said, well, would you be interested in hearing how you can? She said, would you be willing to tell me how I can have that kind of a relationship with God? No, I guess that's what you call an open opportunity to share the gospel and how to grow in faith. And you're saying, okay, okay, um, that's something that you obviously had as a need. You don't have all needs in life that are visible and compelling. Yeah, that's true. Sometimes I actually look for a way to connect maybe somebody else to meet a person's need, or I tell their story. I'd like to share with you an example of that. My dad died of cancer back in 1978, and um, I was with him there in the hospital, and we were in the smoker's room. Now, frankly, if I'd had lung cancer like he did because of my smoking, I would have stomped on my cigarettes and, and swore off, would have sworn off uh, smoking. But that apparently isn't what most people do. And so there we were in this really smoked pack room. My life was being shortening by, shortened by the hours that I was there. Dad and I were talking, and then he looked across the room and he said, Steve, you see that woman over there? And I said, yes. She's got it even worse than I do. She's going to die very soon. I think you need to share the gospel with her. She does not know Jesus. And I said, well, yeah, I'm sure you're right. So I took a four spiritual law booklet out and, uh, and I started walking toward the woman. And then I thought about it for a second, stopped, turned around and went back to dad. He said, Steve, aren't you gonna share with her? I said, actually, no, I'm not gonna share with her, dad. Well, you hypocrite, you know, you tell me I'm supposed to, what, so? I said, no, Dad, you're going to share with her. And I, I reached out my hand. It had the four law booklets still in it. I reached out and I said, here, Dad, take this and go share with her. <laughs> my dad was normally a very outgoing person, but in that moment, he was kind of quiet, okay? And, and, uh, and he thought about it for a while. And finally, slowly, he took the four law booklet out of my hand and walked in a very slow walk over to that woman. I saw him sit down, they struck up a conversation. Finally, I saw him bring out the booklet, show it to her, and uh, read through it. And then I saw their heads both bow as she prayed and asked Jesus Christ into her life. One week later, they were celebrating together in heaven. They'd both died. You see, Dad had the need that could relate to her need. So what I'm talking about is people have needs you have a lot of needs, and Jesus Christ has met many of those needs in your life in ways that are sometimes dramatic or otherwise. And that becomes a powerful connector to people who have a similar need. Now, I suspect what you're thinking is, well, yeah, you're, you're a missionary, you know, you're a professional at doing this. Oh, 
I didn't start anywhere near there, even if I am now. My very first witnessing experience was fascinating. It was actually before I had joined staff. I went to a leadership training institute as a part of our campus ministry. That's what we called it. And among other things, they shared with you how to use the four spiritual laws. And uh, they walked through the booklet and showed the circles and other things. Not sure how familiar you are with it, but, but uh, you know, which circle represents your life? Which circle would you like to have represent your life? And I sort of tuned out at that point because what was next was, and here's how you can make a decision to make that circle real for you, where Christ is in your life. I, so I never read that next page. You say, well, why is that important to know? Because they sent us out to do some witnessing a couple days later. I actually didn't know that they were going to do that. And uh, I was at least with somebody who knew what he was doing. So we went out to a place called Balboa Island. Uh, we were on the West Coast there in the Los Angeles area. And we, we went out to the island. We saw two guys sitting on a bench. He said, Steve, you take the one on the right. I'll take the one on the left. And so he did and I did. And, uh, and I sat down and we struck up a conversation. Now, mind you, I'd never done this before, so I wasn't sure this guy would have the least bit of interest. In fact, if you wanted to know what I thought, I thought he wouldn't be. Well, finally, we did get into the four spiritual laws and we got through and we got to the page that talks about the two circles, which circle represents your life. And he said, the one on the left. And, he said, and I said, which circle would you like to have represent your life? And he said, the one on the right. I, I was surprised. So here's what I said. Now, keep in mind, I'd never read the next page. Well, let's turn the next page and see what it has to say. <laughs> he had no idea <laughs> the full meaning of that sentence as I shared it with him. We read through the prayer, and I'm sure what I was thinking was, this prayer surely doesn't represent your thoughts right now. You don't want to pray this prayer. That's what I was thinking. But I did dutifully say, does this prayer express the desire of your heart? And I said, yeah. It really does. And so we prayed together and asked Christ into his life. And the only reason for my telling that story is to say, I was a little bit of a reluctant witness, wouldn't you say? And not super capable even in what I did, but yet God honored that. A bit later than that, I mean, I was on staff now well over 10 years, or about 10 years, and uh, it was the late 70s. And and I was noticing I still wasn't all that great at doing evangelism. I, I was actually in charge of our headquarters and was kind of hoping I would get invited to come out and speak on campus, but that I didn't. Why? Well, they could get Josh McDowell or other people that did that for a living. I'm just one of those guys at headquarters, right? And so I said, Lord, help me be more effective in doing evangelism. And it wasn't long after that that my wife, Judy, uh, was speaking at Christian women's clubs and uh, they said, we need a speaker for our men's night. And it has to be a man and, of course, a strong Christian. And a lot of these women will bring their non-Christian husbands and uh, it'd be an opportunity to lead them to Christ. And Judy said, oh, well, my husband would be delighted to do that. Then came home and told me what she'd lined me up for. And so I did share. And what I discovered is there are a lot of kind of restrictions there on what you can share and what you can't share. You can't talk about your church. You can't talk about doctrine. What you basically could do is share your testimony, now I've grown familiar with that, and share the gospel and have an opportunity for people to pray with you. So, testimony, gospel, pray with me. Now, in Camps Crusade for Christ, now crew, uh, we teach three-minute testimonies, but this, of course, had to be a message, so it had to be like a 20-minute testimony. So I had to kind of add more detail even than what I shared with you. But I did that, the first men's night. And you know what was a shock to me? after the pray with me and there was an indication opportunity for whether they made a decision, some people actually indicated decisions for Christ. 
You see, my testimony was in the ballpark of kind of the success orientation or other things maybe of a lot of the men in the audience. And so it connected and they responded. I spoke at very many of those men's nights through the years and you know, it was exciting to see somebody respond, I think, every single night I had the chance to share. It was exciting. But I still prayed again and I said, Lord, I, uh, I kind of had in mind maybe speaking out in a ministry opportunity that relates to Campus Crusade for Christ or, or something that was a little more mainstream. Not that I was against Christian Women's Club because I think they're terrific, but I was thinking what we do as a ministry. And it wasn't so long after that prayer, which was actually in the early 80s, that uh, some of the students that I had at the International School of Theology where I was teaching personal development, they, uh, they actually asked me if I would be willing to do a, uh, an evangelistic seminar, is what they called it, where I would lead off with maybe even up to an hour uh, on uh, time management, personal development, and then lead into the gospel. Well, I said yes because I'd prayed, and I figured this must be a door God had opened, but I tell you what, I wasn't too sure <laughs> that, that, that I'd, in fact, I'd never heard anybody do it that way, let me put it that way. So I wasn't too sure it would work. Well, I prepared, boiled down the seminar, shared a couple of blockbuster ideas on how to manage your time and develop in your life, attached basically the Christian Women's Club talk at that point, sharing my testimony, uh, relating it to the need that those men might have, presented the gospel and had a pray with me. Do you know what? Five out of the nine non-Christians that were there indicated decisions for Jesus Christ. I was shocked. And we, we in fact, so shocked, I said, I don't know if this is right, let's try it again. And, and the next time, it was over 50%, and the next time, it was over 50%. And I don't have time to share with you too much more about where it went from there, but curiously enough, it led eventually to doing something on campus using the same format with the topic being how to get better grades and have more fun so that would be a little more compelling maybe than time management to the average college student. And through the first 33 times that I gave that talk, out of the total of 300 times I eventually gave that talk on campus, my dream, about 50% of the potential non-Christians indicated decisions for Christ. God had moved in my life from a very, very modest beginning to something far more effective. And I guess what I want to share with you is to ask a question. What about you? What about you? Can you become effective in sharing Christ with the people around you? And the answer is yes. By all means, attend the Living and Telling training. That will help you immensely. But then the key is, try it. Try it. That's what I did. It took a while. Got a little more comfortable. Took a little while. Got a little more comfortable. And eventually, God began to show me what to say, how to connect with people matching my needs to theirs, such that I had a much more effective ministry. And so can you. And in fact, eventually, you'll become an illustration of what Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. You are the light of the world. And then it goes on down in verse 16. So let your light shine, that people may see your good deeds and praise the Father in heaven. That's what this is all about. 
the light of Jesus shining out from within your life in such a way that people say what I said there that summer in Rockford, Illinois. That's what I want. Let me close with one last illustration. You know, when God realizes that you are willing, now he knows everything, but when, it, when you get to the point where you're willing and he knows that you're able to share your faith, you might be amazed at the kind of things he'll bring across your path. You say, like what? Well, let me give you this illustration. I was sitting at a McDonald's restaurant writing an article for our staff. I do that every month. And um, I was stuck for an illustration. And finally, I, I didn't know what to think, so I looked up, and there was this woman standing right in front of my table, obviously wanting to talk to me. And she, had, she stuck her hand out this way, and she said, Is that your Bible? <laughs> it was out there. I said, yes. She said, are you a Christian? I said, well, yes, yes. That's my Bible. Nobody else at the table. I'm a Christian, yes. That's good because you see, I'm a Christian too, but I am not walking with the Lord. Uh, I'm, I'm living with this guy for the last 10 years. We had a child nine years ago, and, uh, and he's a special needs child. And she went on and on, and finally I said, time out, time out. What you're saying is you want to walk with God, but you don't have the power to do so. She said, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Well, sit down. You are at the right table. And I had a chance to share with her. She was already a believer, but I had a chance to share with her how to experience the power of God in her life. She prayed and said, God, that's what I want. And as she left, she was just rejoicing. And so was I with her, first of all, and then I looked down at my paper, and that was the illustration I needed for that letter. God will bring by to you remarkable opportunities. Things will surface in people's lives, and they'll know you're the person they need to talk to. I'm going to be praying for you that you will be a light to all around you. Let's start my praying for you right now. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for the privilege I have to speak to these people at the Westgate Church. And I'm so thrilled that they are emphasizing how they can share Jesus with the people around them. So I pray now, Father, that you will teach them, bless them, empower them, give them the ability to surface the things in their lives where you have met their needs and then to connect with the people around them when they have something similar. Thank you, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. Good being with you.